They're some of the most famous crime movies of all time and have left gangsters and their glamorous malls forever embedded in popular culture. Now Crime World is going to make you an offer you can't refuse. In association with Dingo Whiskey and the Sunday World magazine, we'll be recording an exclusive invite-only live show on December 1st in Dublin's Sugar Club. And for a chance to win tickets, all we want are your views and your votes. Over the coming weeks, we will be reviewing our top 10 iconic movies with some special guests as part of the Dingle Whiskey Movie Club on Crime World. And we want you to vote for your favourites to be in to win. Details on sundayworld.com and Crime World's Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And remember, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. It seems to be the sort of trial that you need to be following every day. You could just blink and miss something. The big question I have is where is Jerry Hutch at the moment, you know, the guy on trial? Like, he seems to be, I think he's gaining a little bit more confidence as the days go on, maybe. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. 27 members of the Garda's National Surveillance Unit had an operation in place on the day the state say Shane Rowan drove to Dublin to collect the Regency AK-47s. And today, the Special Criminal Court will rule on whether or not those who are called to give evidence in the trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch and his co-accused Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy can remain anonymous. Hutch has not been identified in the CCTV, showing four cars move around an industrial estate near the Northside shopping centre on the day the AKs were seized. But his brother, Patsy Hutch, has been named as the driver of a Yaris car, who shared a coffee and a bun with Rowan in the early evening before he was caught. Today, I'm reporting from the Regency trial, where a calm and collected monk charged with murder has yet to take centre stage. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. There's just been very little so far heard about Jerry Hutch, who's the man in the dock for murder. And look, I mean, it's a slow process. This has been the last couple of days have been all about CCTV. It's really hard going, mm. trying to follow it. And then, you know, you see some of it came to Dublin, collected the weapons and was stopped on his way back up to the north. But I actually was finding it so hard to follow yesterday that when, when Brendan Gren asked, could he... Would anyone mind if he went back over it today and everyone else groaned? I went, yes, because I was actually able to follow it then nearly for the first time. But it's like it is um, grinding there at the moment. Yeah, even just getting a couple of hours of it there at the end, it's uh, sleep inducing really in the afternoon. And it's all the stuff that has to go in. It's also confusing because there's like, there's stuff being put to the court and then, you know, the defence councils are saying they will object to that or they will raise questions to that. And yet we don't really know whether it's in or out then. Mm. So it's a little bit confusing. Um, and we'll get on to a bit that happened like this afternoon that is is of interest. But 
just to go a little bit over that, um, it's of course, it didn't help that I don't know the uh, north side. And actually, just as Tara Burns said the same thing, because she was quite glad when she was handed a map this morning when they went back over it with the map. And that's why uh, Brendan Grehan wanted to just go back with, well, he had a map in front of him. Um, Take you for a drive sometime. Well, yeah, absolutely. But because it all, I actually pulled it up on my map on the phone to see where everything is. And just because those who do know it, I actually marked down where all of this sort of happens in between, which is, maybe you won't smart arse know this place now at all. It's um, between the North Side Shopping Centre and um, sort of the mattress mix area, which is a big, big like, uh, it seems to be a big sort of industrial estate. Yeah, he has a warehouse out there. Yeah, we all know who Mattress Mick is. We do. Yeah, he, he's real. He is real. I bought yeah. a mattress from him. Did you? Did you meet him? Yeah. <laughs> and is his hair as mullety? Yeah. Wow. And it was a very good mattress at a good price. So. Yeah, I always saw his... Uh, big posters up around the north inner city. Um, anyway, Mattress Mix Car Park was, according to the state, used as one of these places. So there's a number of vehicles, okay? And the key one is the Vauxhall Insignia, which the state is saying Rowan was driving, Shane Rowan. Shane Rowan was arrested and pleaded guilty to possession of those Regency AKs and to membership of an illegal organisation. He was arrested on the 9th of March, 2016, and he's either still in jail or else he's just out because I think he got seven years. So he seems to be in this Vauxhall insignia, which is a black coloured car. And then there's a Yaris, which we have been told is being driven by, or certainly that um, Patsy Hutch, the monk's brother, is in. And then there's two other cars, a Cordoba, which I had to Google. Now, there seems to be a very fancy one or an Opal or a... Like I'd say it was the normaler one rather than the, like it was a Cadillac or something, which it obviously wasn't. You'd hardly be dri- driving around. It'd be fairly noticeable. It'd be fairly noticeable, but um, the other one was another. And then there's this Nissan Primera. So basically they are sort of doing this almost a dance-like thing. They're, they they come down the Newtown, Newtown Road and then they go in to this industrial estate where there's a number of premises that... CCTV has t- been taken from. They use Mattress Mix car park to pull in. Uh, they go over as far as Clare Hall Shopping Centre in Teddy Rocket. So he seems to come into the city, this insignia around half three, or is it the Yaris pulls in at half three? One of the cars pulls in at half three anyway, into the shopping centre. And it is Rowan because we see him then going into the into the actual shopping centre. He comes back out at 16.45, right? And gets into the insignia, at which point the Aris is there and they kind of take off in convoy. At Mattress Mix, then, the driver of the insignia gets out and he walks around a corner where we don't see him into some sort of a logistics company par- car park. But at this, uh, you know, a couple of minutes later, the Yaris pulls out a mattress mix and seems to pass by this logistics place. And it's later seen pulling into a garage where Patsy Hutch is identified as getting out of the car, going into the garage, buying two coffees and some pastries and getting back into the car. And that's at an apple green. And the car sits there for a period of time before it uh, it drives back around towards this car park and uh, the guy identified as Rowan gets out of the car again and he walks back 
to the insignia. The, the Yaris then makes its way back towards where the insignia parks. Again, it's out of camera, but we see uh, the man identified as Rowan getting back into the insignia while they show the Yaris kind of moving on down and taking a U-turn. And these are all taken off different cameras, basically. This, the next significant thing that happens is the insignia goes um, back into the direction of a place called House of Italy. And there is a like a, a, a crash repairs area there and it pulls into this crash repairs area at 17.35 p.m. and the car uh, comes back out and parks opposite there at 18.05. So it's within, it's in this crash repairs for kind of the guts of about half an hour. Um, when the insignia comes back out, you see this other car, which is the, the Primera and you see Rowan, or the man identified as Rowan, getting out of the insignia, which has come out of the crash repairs, walk over to the um, to the the Nissan Primera, have some sort of a conversation with the driver, and get back to the car. So the Primera leaves that area first, followed by the insignia. We see some footage of the Yaris pulling into the Woody's car park um, around twenty past six, and then. Um, the insignia seems to pull up around an Iceland car park and it gets, again, the driver gets out and walks across and speaks to the driver of the Primera again. So in, in other words, this, this insignia is, is making its way around this industrial estate. The car goes missing, sits in a crash repairs place for about half an hour. And there's a number of meetings between the driver, who the state say is Rowan, and individuals in these other cars and the only one who's been identified is Patsy Hutch. There's no mention, actually, of Jerry Hutch yet. Whether that's going to come out or not, I don't know. But certainly there's no mention of him there. The mention of him seems to be on the 20th of February when he travels the state, say, with Jonathan Dowdall up to the north, uh, where there seems to be a meeting and they have them captured on CCTV going into a garage. Uh, that jar is driven by... Patsy Hutch is involved in that convoy as well to the north. So that's all a little bit, um, well, it's 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 what it is. It's been put to the court now, and I'm sure the further details of it will be will come with time. Um, exactly what was what was happening. But I think the important part of that earlier when I'm talking about when they're going around the car parks and mattress mix and all the rest of it is that um the court was told today that the National Surveillance Unit had them under surveillance as well, which is clearly why they were able to get this CCTV. Um, there's no explanation as to, you know, if or how the weapons were exchanged and given to Rowan, at what point they went into the boot. There doesn't seem to be anything put to the court yet that shows any of these individuals, certainly the ones on trial, uh, moving the weapons or engaged with Rowan as he's believed to have taken those weapons in. So, you know, that'll probably come out. Now, in the afternoon, then we got on to stuff about the um, that surveillance that I'm talking about. And Detective Superintendent Eugene Lynch was uh, called for to give evidence. And he was making basically an application under the rules of the Special Criminal Court to make sure that the members of the National Surveillance Unit who are on that job remain anonymous, that they can give evidence without their names and addresses being given to the court and without the public being there. The media, um, the, the, this 
application essentially by the state is that the media can be there, but we can't describe anybody or they'll just be referred to by initials. Now, this detective superintendent, Eugene Lynch, was called basically to give evidence as to why that should be the case. And he said that um, it allows members that are on active you know, operations be anonymised. They obviously need to be. He said that it was to protect current and future operations. 27 members of the National Surveillance Unit were on that operation that day, the 9th of March. And he said of those, six are retired and the other 21 remain working on the in the National Surveillance Unit. Um, so he talked about that... Um, you know, retaining the integrity of the of the program or of the or of the unit and the safety and well being of those working on it, including the retired members. So he was uh, cross examined by Brendan Grehan for Jerry Hutch, who basically raised the point that there are no proper rules essentially surrounding this, and that all people who give evidence in courts have to be identified. Now, he said he had full understanding as regards why those that were currently working in the National Surveillance Unit and maybe on current undercover work shouldn't be identified. But he did say that he didn't believe that these retired officers should be given the same anonymity. You know, under cross-examination, Detective Superintendent Eugene Lynch said that they would have been, they were being uh, requested anonymity because of previous operations they may have worked on related to terrorism or organised crime um, gangs and that that could put their lives in danger. He also said at one point that many of their families didn't realise the kind of work they did. Um, So this was kind of played out and Grehan made a submission, a lengthy submission to the court, which at the end of it, uh, Bernard Condon, also said that he he would join the application, basically. He agreed with everything that was said. So, um, yeah, Grendon was basically saying that um, it was unfair that these uh, officers got this anonymity, that people from the public who had given CCTV over had to come and their names and addresses were read out, that in, in the, 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 the criminal courts that very few officers got anonymity. He went back to uh, cases that had been held in the special criminal court where some officers didn't get anonymity. And um, he said that new rules have been brought in basically around 2013. Now, I have to say, I'm not 100% sure where it's going, the application. Justice Tara Burns asked him at one point why he felt that um, his client being Jerry Hutch's rights were being sort of abused by the fact that these officers weren't going to give their names and addresses. And he said it was nothing about his client didn't want any names or addresses of anybody. He just wanted to point out that he was sitting, you know, under, you know, he was being charged. He was, his trial was being heard in the special criminal court. He'd already made a failed application to have it held in front of a jury. Um, And this was just another layer of unfairness basically on him or rather than unfairness that his trial wasn't being held publicly and you know in the normal fashion so that that application was um taken and there will be a sort of a, a judgment given on that basically tomorrow and what, what they'll do going forward but it seems that I'm not sure that all 27 members of the National Surveillance Unit are going to be called but they could be 
which is going to be a lot of evidence. And we might also get a flavour of, and I'm sure if, you know, one way or another they're going to be called, I suppose it's a question of whether they will be, their names will be given or not. Um, it seems to be, you know, a silly enough argument in the greater scheme of things. But I imagine the sort of things that they will be asked is who were they, who had they got under surveillance? You know, because given that there is no mention so far of Jerry Hutch being in those cars, and maybe I've just completely missed it, but I've no idea who was in two of those cars they spoke about. We'll wait and see tomorrow, but I'm sure they'll want to know who that surveillance operation was uh, was focused on. And I don't know whether or not the National Surveillance Unit guys are going to be able to answer that or will answer that or whether that's a um, a matter of security. But uh, that's where we're at. So it's um, it's long and it's tiring and uh, you know everybody is hoping for a little bit more meat on the bones of it at this stage it seems to be I suppose it's only going on a few days you know really but it feels like it's gone on for a long time yeah well I was thinking there about what Niall has often said about how technical yeah these things are and I feel like we're really getting into that part of it now it's dotting every I and crossing every T no that's exactly what it's doing yeah um, and that's before I mean we haven't even come to in the opening speech they said that they had this uh, recordings. I mean, we haven't even got to that yet. And, you know, there's been, like, as I said, it's slightly confusing because sometimes a little bit of evidence has been pushed, evidence or, you know, are these statements or these people are coming to court and they're saying, yes, I did that. And then the kind of the defence are all sending up and saying, we will be objecting about that. And you're kind of wondering, well, is this now court evidence? But today it was made clear going forward that I think the media are going to be briefed on what we can and cannot or what is going to be you know, we can we can report on or not because while everyone is sort of trying their best, it is a confusing situation. I'm sure for the public, and there's a lot of members of the public in there now over the last couple of days, probably just doing a bit of tire kicking and having a look at Jerry Hutch. But um, nonetheless, I mean, they must be very confused. It is just complex. Yeah, it's it's hard to follow if you're not mm-hmm. if you're not aware of who everyone is and their position within the grand scheme of things. And I was even talking to one of the the reporters, the court reporters who's there all the time, like most of us aren't able to be there all the time. You're kind of hoping you have an idea when it's going to be an exciting day or not. But um, they were saying like that it seems to be the sort of trial that you need to be following every day. You could just blink and miss something. Um, We've no idea what's coming up, you know, what the schedule is, and they seem to be calling witnesses when they're available. There was one witness today that was available, but that witness wasn't taken. Um, and we were told that, you know, it'll be another couple of weeks now before that witness is available. It seems to be some conversations going on about how that evidence would be presented. But um, so, yeah, it's it's just like, I suppose it's going to be a long one. And um, maybe next week we'll give a bit more clarity on some of this, well, the the big question I have is where is Jerry Hutch at the mm-hmm. moment? You know, the guy on trial. Like, I mean, okay, he's with Dowdall on the the twentieth, going up to the north. Um, but that's not the day the weapons are found. So yeah, he's sort of mysteriously absent from pretty much all the conversation so far. He is, he is certainly, um, and very present yet in court. He seems to be growing. He seemed very relaxed today, I thought. Yeah, he seems to be getting taller or something. I'm sure that's not happening unless he's eating his greens. But um, yeah, he seems to be, I think he's gaining a little bit more confidence as the days go on maybe. And 
there was a lot of excitement there in in the court at one point today um when there was a there was a kind of a you know a, a bit of a break over something that had come up but you can see the amount of lawyers the excitement about being involved in this it really is the trial of you know call it the century whatever um and it's only getting going you know even when the senior counsel are getting excited, you know, it's starting to heat up a little oh, bit. Oh, you can see them now. I mean, they're only getting started. They're hopping up and down now, every hand's turn. And uh, there's a little bit of, you know, toing and froing with the, the judge. Um, and yeah, that that's only that's only the beginning of that. Three kind of very eminent senior counsels in fairness as well, um, along with Sean Galan. Sometimes it looks a little bit like a tennis match and, you know, they're they're volleying, volleying the ball and one of them is going to win. Some of the arguments are really, they seem unnecessary to a punter, but they're probably cementing their reputations, you know, in their careers, mm. that they're raising points and that they're, you know, they're fighting certain issues and all everything that happens, I suppose, in one court case is relied on for the next, for the future ones. And every decision and everything that's raised will all be documented and looked back on in the future. And there's also maybe a sense that, I guess, particularly with Bernard Condon, perhaps there's making arguments that may pay off weeks down the line. There's mm. a, there's a sense of raising issues that you know he's going to come back to later on in a maybe in a more forceful way. Certainly, I mean he's very pernickety with things, and um, he's a huge amount of energy. I have to say, like you know, he can come across. Um, a certain way in court, maybe not that likable as sort of an ordinary punter looking at him. But I'd say, you know, if if you needed someone to defend you, he's probably, you know, he's probably a good guy to have because he nothing goes past him. He lets nothing go. Not that any of the others do either, but um, he has a certain way about him that's uh, particular. I saw him in the, um, he defended Jim Mansfield Jr. And uh, his cross-examination of the chief witness and that went on for days. He exhausted him, really, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, so I guess we'll be, we'll have a judgment tomorrow, I guess, on, on this particular judgment issue. And Don't know whether there's much more in it this week, to be honest with you. I'd say probably not. Um, they're not sitting on Friday. They're only sitting tomorrow at two o'clock. There'll be a judgment, a little bit of business done. If there's anything worthwhile, we'll come back to it. But I'd say it'll probably be into next week before we're back with something substantial enough to talk about. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. <laughs>